Hey, it's Danielle, Will, and Ryder from Pod Meets World. Thanks to our friends at Hyundai, we were able to record a very special episode for you guys at the one and only, wait for it, Boy Meets World House. Take a listen. Are there any moments or spots on any of the sets we worked on over the seven years that you guys felt more at home that were like your little spots on the set you like to hang out? I'm afraid it was the sink. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, yeah. You had to act <laughs> by the sink a lot. Yeah. I was behind the counter. Yeah. Right. Doing business constantly. Uh-huh. Mom stuff. Uh-huh. <laughs> Disciplining you <laughs> in Amazing. some way. This has been brought to you by the fully electric Hyundai Ionic 5. New episode out now. You can listen wherever you get your podcasts. You don't just live in your home. You live in your neighborhood as well. So when you're shopping for a home, you want to know as much about the area around it as possible. Luckily, Homes.com has got you covered. Each listing features a comprehensive neighborhood guide from local experts. Everything you'd ever want to know about a neighborhood, including the number of homes for sale, transportation, local amenities, cultural attractions, unique qualities, and even things like median lot size and a noise score. Homes.com. We've done your homework. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chuck Bryant, and this is Stuff You Should Know, the podcast. That's right. This is part of our ongoing death suite, which is sweet. Yeah, we've covered death a lot because death is multifaceted. Sure. You know, and this one reminded me of the, uh, I guess we covered Green Burial, not in its own podcast, yeah. but in like different ways to... What to do with the dead body? There you go. That's what I thought it was in, too, but I'm surprised we didn't do it podcast dedicated just to that maybe we should yeah i looked up because i'm interested in that for myself and uh there are some lovely places right outside atlanta to be buried greenly yeah where yeah. you can just be wrapped in a shroud and buried in the field which ripped to death by uh, coyotes okay. <laughs> left in a field do they they don't leave you in a field. no well they bury you in a shallow grave oh, okay um for the coyotes to come get you no they said they don't have a problem with that but i'm not one of those people that uh cares about that yeah like, about what happens to your body. Like, I would do a sky burial. That wouldn't bother me for vultures to pick me apart. Like, yeah. use the body. If it would feed an animal, great. Why not donate it to science? Yeah, maybe I'll do that. I'm yeah. not precious about that. my body after death. I'm uh, not precious about my body in life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why start then? Exactly. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, so anyway. Well, a shroud, <laughs> a shroud does kind of technically count as a coffin, Chuck. Yeah, back in the day, if you didn't have a lot of money. Right. Um, or if you're into being picked apart by coyotes. Right. Um, but the, the whole point of a coffin or what constitutes a coffin is it provides a barrier between the body and the ground. Yeah. And technically, a shroud does that. It's a really, really poor coffin. Yeah. But it, uh, that's the whole point. It's that the body's encapsulated in something. That Just dropping a body into a grave is um, undignified, you might say. E- even cremating a body without some form or fashion of a coffin is considered undignified. And you'll be hard-pressed to find a crematorium that will let you just put your loved one on the conveyor belt and let them just kind of flop lifelessly toward the flames. I don't think they flop. <laughs> well, I mean, if they're jostled, they're going to flop. Okay. Yeah, especially after rigor's done. Um, the coffin, the word coffin, we're not going to do any Merriam-Webster stuff because that's who would start an article like that. Or do it six times in an article. (laughs) 
But uh, we will say we like to give root words, and of course, Greek and Latin are involved here with uh, the Greek kofinos and Latin kofinus. Uh, mm-hmm. They're always like, oh, yeah? <laughs> right. <laughs> I'll change that K to a C and that O to a U. And no one will ever even remember <laughs> the Greeks happen. Exactly. Uh, so that's where the word coffin came from. Um, but here in the United States, we generally uh, refer to that vessel as a casket, whereas in places like England and Australia, I'm sorry, Great Britain and Australia, mm-hmm, going. they might say coffin, even though a lot of people here think that's like a word you shouldn't use. Well, yeah, their casket still means a place to like keep your valuables. Right. Right. Your baubles. Right. Yeah. Here in the U.S., if you go to a funeral uh, directorium, also called a funeral home, mm-hmm. you're going to find that they never use the word coffin. No. And, you know, it's pretty subtle, but the language is definitely... They don't say uh, we'd love to pick out for you to pick out a coffin for your husband's dead body, um, and then we'll dig a grave over there and put it in the ground. <laughs> <laughs> they will say things like, "We would like you to pick out a casket for your husband and from our display area, from the display area, and we will take you there in the casket coach, not a hearse, and uh, and place him in the internment space, which, which is we not just a grave." Opened. Or, and then we'll close afterward rather than filling or yeah. digging the grave. They don't say words like digging and ground. Basically, uh, anything that re- that brings to mind um, the guy from Phantasm, yeah. does the funeral industry avoids those words. Yeah, and of course, we've ruined Six Feet Under and the Fisher and Sons uh, God, boys. Such a great show. Yeah, Michael always did such a great job of you know, being the proper funeral director and using all the all the words that... Yeah. You should use, like, casket. He's good at it. And then yeah. he turned into a serial killer. No, well, on Dexter, yeah. Um, so there actually is a distinction beyond where you live with the word casket and coffin. Sure. There's a slight difference. Shape? Yeah, it's it's all, it's basically shape. A, a, uh, a casket is a long rectangle, mm-hmm. and the top is usually split, so you can... No, that's a coffin. That's a casket. Oh, yeah, that's a casket. A coffin is the hexagonal. Right. Right. A hexagonal box. Yeah, and that, you know, back in the day, you had the old pine box. Actually, a lot of those were just rectangular, um, but some were, you know, had that familiar sort of uh, keyhole shape. Well, back in the day, <clears throat> in the 19th century, the person who was responsible for carrying out your funeral services and building your coffin was usually the local carpenter, and he undertook your funeral service, hence the word undertaker, from what I understand. Yeah. Um, but it, it was usually somebody who built wagons and kitchens and whatever. They also built coffins, too. And they built them to suit. That sounded to me like our first casket fact. <laughs> well done, Chuck. Wow. Yeah. Thank you, Jerry, for going the extra mile there. And uh, if you like that, you're going to love this episode because this place <laughs> is lousy with casket facts. Yeah. We won't play the sound effect on this one, but I thought another interesting fact, because, you know, I like origins of phrases and things. Mm-hmm. If someone casts a pall over a room, yeah. a pall was actually a dark cloth that they would put over the casket to, I guess, cover, you know, block out the, the bad juju of having the dead body in there. Right. So you would cast a pall over the casket. Yeah, or if you're me, you cast a pall over any room you enter. That's fun. <laughs> no fun anymore, everybody. Uh, can we true. can we talk a little bit about the funeral industry for a second? Yeah. About the casket industry, I should say specifically. Yeah. There's still some furniture companies that make caskets on the side. 
Like Lazy Boy? Yeah, I don't know if Lazy Boy does it, but there's, they they represent a very small they segment should. of the casket that's the ultimate Lazy Boy. <laughs> you know? Your, your forever chair. Right, exactly. Uh, well, they actually have caskets for those people. It's called um, Goliath Caskets, Oversized Caskets, built oh, yeah. to uh, order. Oversizedcaskets.com. Huh. Uh, anyway. The- of course there's someone that does that, because that's a common thing, you know? Caskets aren't, you know, some people of, of girth. Sure. That's pretty embarrassing, you know, when you can't fit in your casket. Right, and I went and looked, and these are very dignified caskets. Of course, they're, they're just larger. They're for the larger person. Double wides. Um, <laughs> uh, wow. <laughs> um, there's also, uh, okay, so one of the largest casket makers, Batesville, originally started out as a furniture company. Uh-huh. So there's, like, this whole origin of, yeah, I'll build your chair and I'll build your coffin for your uncle, too. That makes sense. It's carpentry. Yeah. And then um, that's kind of the way it went. There were some some groups that that started to consolidate and just make caskets around the late, the turn of the 20th century, the beginning of the 20th century. And, you know, that was fine. They, they kind of created the industry. And then it was like the 50s, after the Korean War, when metal caskets became like all a rage. Yeah, because that was mod looking and that was popular at the time. It was. And you'll also find in the funeral industry, it was easy to um, subtly exploit the grieving out of their yeah. money. Um, there was a, there, it was very cheap to mass produce metal caskets. Right. And so they were sold, sold, sold. There was a huge profit margin with them. And I think by um, the 70s, half of all caskets were um, were metal. Yeah, well, because what better way to protect your loved one from the elements and the harsh afterlife that they may encounter mm-hmm. than with a good old solid metal encasing? Yes, exactly. Um, Which also happens to be have greater profit margins. And it's cheaper to produce. So. It is. It's cheaper to mass produce. The other aspect of a metal coffin and the rise of the metal coffin, it changed the casket making industry um, because it's really expensive to get into metal coffin making. Apparently, it costs about a million dollars just for the dies to make a standard metal coffin. Oh, really? Just for the dies alone. So this kind of consolidated the industry down to fewer and fewer companies that were right. making metal caskets. Um, so it became a real industry at that point. Yeah. Um, and then ultimately the casket industry started to suffer and decline thanks to advances in medicine. There were fewer deaths, so their profits dropped or their yeah. revenue dropped. And then starting in uh, the 80s, people said, you know what? Maybe cremation isn't so bad. Right. And so in 1985, I think 15% of people opted for cremation. And then by uh, 2000, um, I think, no, 2011, it's like 45%. Oh, really? Yeah. And every time somebody gets cremated, the coffin industry dies a little bit. Yeah. Although, you know, um, like you said, you can um, still have a a casket to be cremated in. I know we covered this in the cremation podcast. Yeah. Well, you have to. Like, you can't find somebody who will just let your... But that can be super cheap. Like, sometimes it's even cardboard. Well, it's supposed to be because it's got to burn. Yeah, but I mean, at the very least, wood uh, will also burn. But you can right. you can spend a little bit more money, or you can get a a temporary encasing, an outer encasing that is more attractive to show the family. And then when <laughs> push comes to shove, they shove they remove the uh, outer casket and shove yeah you in. It's like a rental casket just for the service. Yeah, yeah, and, and you can actually rent caskets. Period. Like even if you aren't being cremated. Just for a more showy 
experience. And then they'll, you know, then you get the pine box treatment. Right. Because nobody loves you. Yeah, it's expensive, man. People, a lot of people don't have the money to pay for a big funeral. And it's, a lot of people really believe in that kind of thing. It's really sad for them, you know? It is. Luckily, there's such a thing as Walmart and Costco. Both of them yeah. sell caskets. Walmart has a casket for um, eleven ninety nine, one thousand one hundred ninety nine dollars. That's the Lady of Our Lady of Guadalupe um, casket model. Uh-huh. Uh, and then Costco, Guadalupe. yeah, okay. And then Costco has the same uh, same model for a hundred bucks more. Really? Yeah, I was surprised that it's not exactly the same. But it's nice to see that the big box retailers aren't price fixing coffins. <laughs> yeah. It's great to see Walmart selling coffins. <laughs> but I mean, it's like that you if you need a coffin, and yeah. they're attractive looking coffins. I think they're fiberglass. Have you ever laid down in a coffin? Probably not. I haven't. I haven't either. I would just to see what it felt like. They look comfy. Did you see the thing about the Six Feet Under Club in San Francisco? Uh-uh. There is a club where it's like, hey, you and your um, partner, uh-huh. life par- swinging partner, sure. partner, whatever you know you're what into. Mean. Yeah. Your sex partner. Let's okay. just call it what it is. <laughs> Um, We're grown-ups. Can, right. Can uh, come lay down in our coffin, and we'll bury you. And you guys can do it. And we are going to watch you on a night vision webcam that's going to be projected on the walls of the club above. Where's this, San Francisco? San Francisco. That was wacky. Six feet under club. And you can wow. email and reserve a space in their coffin. Huh. Is but, there? I mean, is there any room in the coffin? That's pretty... I, I would imagine it would have to be a larger, but maybe a Goliath coffin. Yeah, a double wide. Yeah. Huh. Well, I, I will never do that, but it's interesting to know it's out there. It is out there in like, San Francisco. I like knowing my options. Well, let's talk about the anatomy of a coffin, Chuckers. Uh, well, the you know the most important thing, of course, is that it is a barrier to from the body to the you know the elements. No one, or actually, I don't care. Like I already said, but most people, most normal people, don't want to think about their loved ones' bodies like decaying and being eaten by you know being worm dirt. Right. But one thing they cannot tell you is that it's illegal to say that we have a casket that will permanently seal the body. Like well, it's against the law to, to claim any sort of permanence. Um, even if it's one of these new gasket coffins. What are those called? Um, it's called a protective coffin. Yeah, which actually has a rubber gasket. So it's sealed much tighter, but they still legally can't say like it'll protect them forever. Right, because it will protect them from the elements, but there is such a thing as decay. Like your your body's going to decay into nothingness. And apparently, I guess the funeral industry was selling coffins based on the idea that the body was going to survive forever. Yeah. And with this impermeable seal that the protective coffins had, I mean, it wasn't letting anything in, but yeah. it also wasn't letting anything out. Which is a problem. And in an airtight um, environment, anaerobic bacteria gets to work. And as they start putrefying the flesh, they expel methane gas as yeah. a byproduct. And there's this thing called exploding coffin syndrome, which was most um, apparent in mausoleums where uh, a coffin would just blow up. And sometimes they would blow up so much that it would blow the mausoleum door open. Yeah. Like a huge methane explosion from the gas built up from the decaying corpse in this protective coffin. So now they have ones that that don't let anything in, but they burp gas out. Yeah, they're called burping coffins. Yeah, which is a great name for a coffin. Yeah. So, uh, but so is exploding casket syndrome. Yeah, That's boy, could you imagine syndrome. being a, uh, a cemetery worker and seeing a mausoleum door explode wide open? 
<laughs> yeah, you're just like, I've yeah. seen it all. I would quit my job that day. Um, so it depends on where you are in the world, uh, what you're going to get with your with your coffin and with regulations. You know, in less developed countries, obviously, they're less regulated. Um, it, you could still be wrapped in a shroud in some parts of the world. Right. It, here in the U.S., um, in the West, you, they're basically public health regulations, which is why that, that place for the green burial is designated a green burial place. Yeah. So I'm sure you the body won't come in contact with the groundwater, I think is what they're trying to keep from happening. Yeah, that was in their FAQ. Yeah. So um, that's pretty much the whole public health regulation. And it's gotten to the point where most, most people are buried with cement and casement around them, right? Oh, is that what they do these days? I think so. Yeah, Just, I think I knew that actually. Like, it's so funny. Like, we're we're all still six year olds, right. At our court, it's like, ew, dead body, gross. <laughs> I can't let that get in the water. Yeah, that stuff doesn't bother me. Drinking dead I'm bodies? A, no, not. I wouldn't want to drink a dead body now. But seeing one, I mean, I'm the guy who poked a head floating in a bucket, you know, in the hospital. That oh time. yeah, yeah. I forgot about that story. I didn't poke it, but. I mentally poked it. It didn't bother me. That is grody. Uh, If you are in the Western world, you're probably going to be dealing with uh, wood or metal or fiberglass. If you live out in the desert, they may use things like local products, like clay or stone, Mm -hmm. which is kind of interesting. I guess we got a lot of uh, wood here in the United States, though. Particle board. Yeah. And like we mentioned, the sad, sad cardboard cremation vessel. Right, which, again, if you're being cremated, you probably don't care. Yeah. I was all set for cremation, and then I thought, I don't know. Is there anything that's, and the green burial seems like a good option. Sure. Just become one with the dirt. Maybe. But I like the idea of being scattered as well. Or, again, helping somebody, helping other people. Yeah. But they'll still, like, if you donate your body to science, did, did they not give you any sort of, like, no, you can't be embalmed or any. I, I guess you probably could. If, like, say you're going to the body farm, you wouldn't be able to be embalmed. Sure. And I'm sure there's, like, memorial services, but I don't, I don't, as I understand it, that's another thing that's eating into the casket industry's profits is body donation. Uh, hey, man, I think this is a perfect time to uh, have a message break from our sponsor. Agreed. Which means our jingle. Hey everybody, we're here to tell you about Viator, a tool that you can use to plan and book travel experiences around the world. That's right. The Viator app and website make it easy to explore 300,000 plus travel experiences so you can discover what's out there no matter where you're traveling or what you're interested in. Yep, Viator can help you plan better travel experiences. 300,000 plus travel experiences to choose from means you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. That's right. You can also enjoy real traveler reviews to get insider information from people who've already been on the experience that you're considering. Plus, you get free cancellation that helps you plan for the unexpected. Yeah. And Viator offers 24-7 customer service, so you know you'll get support at any hour if things aren't going as planned. So download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find the perfect travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hey, 
Hey there, are you thirsty? Well, before you take a sip, have you stopped to think about what's in your water? Many conventional bottled waters contain PFAS, harmful substances known as forever chemicals. But you can drink water as clean as nature intended. Richard's rainwater collects 100% pure, refreshing drops of rain. Yes, it really is rain, everybody. This rain is caught clean before it hits the ground or becomes polluted with pesticides and contaminants commonly found in groundwater. Yep, Richard's rainwater is naturally pure with no need for harsh chemicals or additives. That means no added fluoride, no chlorine, no forever chemicals, no microplastics, no nothing. And you can enjoy the clean taste of Richard's still rainwater and the long-lasting cold-pressured bubbles of Richard's sparkling rainwater. Just visit richardsrainwater.com to find a retailer near you. That's richardsrainwater.com. And we even have a special offer, don't we, Josh? Yeah, text STUFF to 2512-928887 and you'll get $2 off a 12-pack case of Richard's rainwater. Sip the sky. All right, so I think this is actually a great time for a second casket fact. Oh, I like these already. All right, uh, back in the day, in the early 19th century, that was sort of a, they called it a, a grave body snatching period. Yeah. And people were into snatching up bodies, digging up graves, exhuming people, if you will, and basically selling bodies for money for medical research. It was a way to make a buck or yeah. doing research on your own. Medical College of Georgia was, they found dozens of <laughs> skeletons. I was like, <laughs> I don't think it was hundreds. Dozens of skeletons yeah. of um, people who were dismembered and they figured out that all of them had been yeah. stolen from graves. I remember that. Yeah. Uh, of course, that wasn't in the early 19th century, was it? It was in the 19th century. Not oh, that it? early, but it was, okay. it was in the 19th century. Uh, so they developed something, well, various things to you know protect bodies like locked mausoleums and vaults. Mm-hmm. And then something I think is kind of neat called a mort safe, which is basically an iron cage put over the coffin that's like sunk into concrete. It's like what people use to protect their air conditioners today. Yeah, exactly. But over like a grave. So that, that was a mort safe and that kept uh, people out. They had guards sometimes, staffed yeah. guards. I think the uh, caretaker the caretaker doubles as a guard, but they had people who they hired as guards to protect a specific grave. Uh, I think if you had enough dough, wow, you could have like um, you know the mausoleum with a guard. That's pretty cool. And that's you know that's if you're rich and wealthy. Um, there are also if you weren't wealthy, other ways to to thwart grave robbers was to put heavy planks. Yeah. Um, to backfill the grave with rocks instead of dirt, which might not have kept somebody out, but they would have made quite a, a bit of noise digging you up. Sure. And, uh, yeah. Have you ever been to um, Oakland Cemetery? Oh, yeah. I go all the time. Well, not all the time, but I go. It is beautiful. A couple times a year. Yeah. You, me, and I went and just did like this, just walked around. Yeah. Like, there's some, there's some mausoleums there that, like, there's no way you could have gotten into. Yeah. For, uh, those uh, people that haven't been to Atlanta, that is what our... Probably oldest and like most is, famous cemetery. Yeah, it is our parade de la Chaise. It's a uh, yes. It's our Nicholas <laughs> I've been to that one too, actually, the one in Paris. What parade de la Chaise? Oh, is it the one with uh, Jim Morrison? Yeah, of course. Nice. And uh, I think uh, Oscar Wilde is there and Chopin. Wow. But you know, Morrison's the one that you go by, and there's like joints on the ground yeah. and like tabs of acid and stuff, and. Then you always see, like, the random guy kind of hanging out, like, waiting for everyone to turn their back. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. A bunch of 
dirty hippies, basically. Jean jackets. Give me a break. Uh, in Ghana and other parts of Africa, it is kind of cool because they will, they have a very um, sort of a joyous way of celebrating death with their bright colored coffins and even odd shapes that would pay uh, honor to what this person loved in life. Um, I saw one that was like a giant shoe. <laughs> and this guy, this uh, this yeah, African dude fetish. was just like, you know, it must have been his relative. And he was just so proud to show that they were burying him in a giant shoe. So it's like, it's like to the dead in Ghana what a piñata is to like a kid in Mexico. <laughs> really? Yeah, they have like piñatas that are like shaped for, they're like different they're stuff. They're specific? Yeah, yeah. So it's not always just a kookaburro? No. Oh, okay. There's like lots of Hello Kitties and like. Really? Yeah, oh yeah, there's, there's some great piñatas out there. Um, and then the other example they gave in here is like if it was a businessman, he might be buried in something that resembled his luxury car. Or, yeah, I saw that one. Or a fisherman, it might be a fish-shaped it's coffin. Like the fish finally got him back. I guess so. He's in the belly of it. So, Chuck, you you mentioned things that uh, coffins may be made out of. Yeah. You mentioned like wood, fiberglass. Elm, um, oak, hardy woods. Bronze is still used on occasion? Yeah, sure. Um, and that's the shell of the coffin. Yeah. Um, and then the, inside you'll find the lining, usually some sort of rich fabric like taffeta yeah. or velvet or something that looks like that. Maybe velour if, if they like juicy clothes, that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, silk maybe. Yeah, and it's stuffed with batting Yeah, to, to keep the uh, corpse nice and comfortable. Sure. And uh, that's pretty much it. You've got hardware on the outside, and that's a casket. Yeah, it's probably going to be warm colors here in the Western world. Um it's not Ghana. You're not going to see a lot of like brightly painted coffins and stuff like that. No, but also they kind of avoid like um, you're probably not going to see a black coffin anywhere. Yeah, uh, they, those are called um, receding colors. They're they're dismal and of desperation and despair. I feel like I've seen a lot of like light gray and things like that. Yeah, or just wood color. If you get like a really nice wood like cherry, sometimes it'll just be in that you know that that'll be the outer shell. Right, and those are pricey. Yes, they are. Um, the, as a matter of fact, the average cost of a funeral in the U.S. in 2009 was 6560 which is less than I thought. I think a, a green barrel is about half that. Yeah, I can see that. I think they're like two or three grand. Because the coffin um, in that average funeral was $2,295, the average cost of a metal coffin in 2009, um, which in 2007, funeral homes and crematories pulled in $11.95 billion. And one of the Big ways business. they pulled in that much was from ca- uh, casket sales. Yeah, and I don't know if we even should say this out loud because it sounds like an unfounded accusation that cheap coffins are purposefully made ugly so they can upsell. Yeah. Do you think that's true? Uh, it's probably true. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know, I've, I've read that the the uh, funeral home industry marks up caskets that they buy. They resell them for up to 500%. Yeah. More than they paid for them. Well, it's a business, and that's their product, you know? It is. It's a business, and the uh, the customers are in a really, um, really uh, easily exploited place. Yeah, I just, I don't know, though. I just think it is a business, and because it deals with death, it's very easy for someone to say, like, you're exploiting these people or taking advantage of them when right. they're... I, I just don't think that's true. It's No, like, I, I think that you can't cast that net across the entire industry. Agreed. I think that that's... that's I'm sure there's some shysters. Thing. Sure. But, but they're they also ruin fishers. it for everybody. <laughs> yeah. You know? Bad apples, Josh.
Well, you know, we, we have a lot of opulence here in the United States. Some people get into that. But apparently in Australia and Great Britain, they're a little more reserved with yeah. what they'll spend on a casket. In some cultures, like the Jewish faith, um, it's very common to to not have any sort of garish thing. They want you to be buried in something very plain mm-hmm. so you're not distinguished as to your like place in life, you know. Yeah, apparently they'll even the the hardware that they use to carry uh-huh. you uh, is removable. So like when you're buried, you're buried in a plain box. Yeah. yeah. I like that. That's Yeah, nice. that's cool. Um you want to talk about the bow people? The hanging coffins of the bow. Not to be confused with the um hell of the upside down sinners in Big Trouble in Little China. Right. Uh, although this is in uh, Sichuan province of China. Yeah. The Bo people are an ethnic group that populated the area, and they had this really neat tradition of putting the coffins of their deceased up on, like, 300-foot cliffs. Yeah. Little, just crags, little caves. And for centuries, no one has had any idea how they got them up there. Yeah, at one point they um, had close to 300. Now it's only about 100, and 350 to 400 feet. And you've seen? Did you see pictures? Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, they're like, I don't see how they did it. They think now they might have lowered them down, but they still, you know, that they're on. It looks like they're on wood planks that mm-hmm. are sticking out of the cliff. So how'd they do that? Yeah. I, I don't just know. can't figure it out. Uh, it's pretty neat. It's like a little village of coffins just kind of clustered on this cliffside. Yeah, with the idea that uh, having your relatives higher up um, is a place of greater respect to be looking up at them because that's where the deities were at the tops of mountains and right. that would place them closer to the deities, I yeah. guess. You go up here now because yeah. you're dead. Yeah, it's very interesting. Um, what about the Egyptians? They had the money coffins, if you ask me. Yeah, and we covered this with Tut, obviously, the big sarcophagi. Um, but they didn't they believe that you would just be sent to your, you know, all this stuff would go with you? Yeah, you'd need it in your afterlife for yeah. your journey to the afterworld, the underworld. Um, and I guess the whole, it was the opposite of what the Jews think. It was the, the more socioeconomic um, right. status you can bestow upon a grave, the better off the person's going to be in the next life. They'll Show be like, oh. You you have a bejeweled casket. Right. You're you're in our you're okay in our book. Bedazzled. Yeah, but they actually had texts. What we now call the Egyptian Book of the Dead was originally um, called the uh, it it grew out of what are called the Egyptian coffin texts. Yeah. And there were two: the Book of the Dead, um, the coffin text that became the Book of the Dead was for everybody, regardless of your socioeconomic status, and it, it told you how to be buried. And we've done how mummies work, so we got into that a lot. Yeah. And that's basically what we, we relied on. But there was also one for the um, the pharaohs, the kings, the, the, the elite, and those are the pyramid texts. Yes, and I, that's the one that later evolved to the Book of the Dead, right? The pyramid text? I think the coffin texts... Oh no! Yeah, it's a pyramid text. Yeah, the pyramid text is separate. That's the one for the for the elite. Right, and that's what evolved to the Book of the Dead. Oh, it did. Okay. Yeah, um, but I think what was in the coffin text was contained within the pyramid text, right? Yeah, I think the coffin text was an umbrella, right? That gave birth to both. It was the original one, and it actually had the first described cosmology ever recorded. Yes, the Book of Two A's within the Egyptian coffin text was right. the first time they basically said here's what happens to you after death yeah pretty or cool could happen to you 
And it's basically you you cross from one part of the sky into a lake of fire and then across into another part of the sky. Yeah, and the coffin texts have spells and things to help you out as well in your journey. Like, check out my bejeweled casket. I'm okay in your book. (laughs) Chuck, we couldn't talk about um, coffins if we didn't talk about a really interesting and neat trend of the 18th and 19th century. Maybe even 17th, but I think 18th and 19th century, called safety coffins. Yeah, it was. Uh, it's a common fear for people to. It's called uh, taphophobia, taphophobia, mm-hmm. and um, that's the fear of being buried alive. Yeah, and that it's a real thing, and people had it then, and they have it now. Well, they had good reason to have it back then because it happened. <laughs> yeah, there there was a book called Premature Burial and How It May Be Prevented. It's uh-huh. an 1896 book by a social reformer named William Tebb. And a couple of co-authors. And actually, one of the co-authors was a doctor who himself had been prematurely buried. Oh, really? Yeah. They went over, like, account after account. And they even had a chapter called Dubious Accounts. But they basically came up with 219 instances of narrow escape from premature burial, 149 cases of actual premature burial, 10 cases of vivisection before death. So the person they thought was dead, they started to cut open. And they weren't dead. Yeah. And then and the then, six feet under club. And then two, two cases of embalming before death. Wow. So, like, it happened. Before embalming, it was like there was no way to tell you were dead. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's that was the problem is medical science hadn't advanced to the point where you could always tell if someone was dead. Exactly. And there was such a thing as cholera, which apparently gives you the appearance of being dead even right. when you're not. So there was good reason to, to fear being buried alive. And as a result, this thing called the safety coffin um, came up. Yeah, and there were, I'm sure you've done some other research on this, there were all different sorts of methods yeah. that they had from uh, a vault that had like a little window and a, a, a wheel you could turn on the inside to, yeah. let, to let yourself out, right. which would be nice. Sometimes there, it was just a breathing tube. Yeah, the, the one that was um, patented in 1896 by a guy named Count Carnice Carnicki, which is awesome, uh, he had something that was... There was a tube with a spring going all the way to the six feet down, uh-huh. um, and there was a little glass ball at the end of the tube, and it rested on the deceased's chest. Yeah. And if any movement of the chest happened, like you took one breath, anything like that, right. it would trip the spring, and some this passageway would fly open to let air in, and a flag would rise up in, above your grave. to be still like, alive. Yeah, we're still alive. <laughs> so... Um, that one was one of the most well-known safety coffins. And actually, in Premature Burial and How It May Be Prevented, uh, there's a whole little chapter dedicated to it. And actually, you can find the full text of that online. Oh, really? For free. It's really interesting That's reading. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, there were also things that would um, trigger like a bell ringing, uh, one that even had a long-fused firecracker that I guess you could set off. Yeah. <laughs> That's, I mean, that'll get yeah. the, the attention of somebody. I guess so. Um in that book, Teb and his friends, they endorse to prevent premature burial, either safety coffin or cremation, where they're like, even if you are dead, then, or even if you're not dead, you're going to be dead afterward. Right. So you, we guarantee you won't be buried alive. Exactly. Because you'll be cremated. Right. We're not even going to bury you. The ultimate safety coffin. And there's this guy named Dr. Timothy Clark Smith. Uh-huh. Uh, in 1893, he died in Middlebury, Vermont, and he's buried to this day, which is customary uh in evergreen cemetery and um if you go to his burial mound there's a 
14 by 14 inch of plate glass uh-huh. that opens up onto what was once his face, six feet down. Wow. So that people could come check on him and make sure he was dead because he had taphophobia and was very, very much afraid of that fate. You know, that's got to be tied to claustrophobia somehow. Well, yeah, they, they think, the APA being they, think that um, you had some sort of early childhood sure. encounter with an enclosed space. Yeah. And either you develop taphophobia or you become the Batman. Oh. That's their that's their judgment. <laughs> that You know what that sounds like? That sounds like a casket fact. Let's hear it. Ah, oh, man. That's, that's sweet nice. nectar. Uh, let's see what else. I got a couple more things. You got anything else? I got nothing else. Go ahead. So you can, uh, we said that the average coffin is like twenty-two, twenty-three hundred $2,300. Uh-huh. You can also shell out $30,000. Of course you can. Uh, Batesville, uh, casket company makes the Promethean. Um, and it is the coffin that Michael Jackson and James Brown were buried in separately. They had their own coffins. Oh, sure. Yeah. What's the deal? Was it just like? It is nice looking. Yeah. Rich, luxurious, like navy velvet. Right. Interior lining, this it looks it must be gold, but polished to this high shine. Uh-huh. It's a beautiful casket, I have to say. There is no reason in the world for anyone ever to be buried in a casket like this, but it's out there. Right. Um, if you want to go the other way, you can go to DIYCoffin.com, and there are schematics to build your own very plain coffin. I saw that. I thought about that. It might be a nice thing to do. Build your own coffin. Yeah. Remember that King of the Hill. Uh. Uh-uh. There's a king of the hill where Hank builds his own coffin. He's talking about how he started. He's like, "Well, I looked into it, and long story short, I got the bug." Now he's <laughs> ma- he, he made he made his first try was terrible, so he gave that to Peggy. Right, and then his second try <laughs> uh, is really nice. He's gotten it down pat, and he, Peggy gets the one where like the top doesn't close all the way. <laughs> right, that's it's what a, mine would look like. It's a good episode. I'm not a skilled craftsman, but I enjoy it. Yeah. And then lastly, you mean I saw Mike Tyson do his little uh, oh, did you go to that? His little spoken word thing. Was uh, that good? But we saw it in D.C. It was great. Uh-huh. Um, and he talked about it was really sweet because I'm really ambivalent about him because, you know, it's just he's a really there's a lot to him. You yeah, know what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah, sure. Um, and, but one of the things that he said he did was his mother was buried in a potter's field uh-huh. with a, an unmarked grave and like a just a cheap box. Yeah. And he said the first time he made money. He had her exhumed and bought, like, the most expensive headstone and the most expensive casket he could find and had her buried in, like, this other nice cemetery. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah. You know, there's a pauper's grave over by the drive-in movie theater here in Atlanta. Mm-mm. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, it's just, yeah, it's a pauper's grave. And lots of, like, bad stuff goes on there now, apparently. What? Oh, like prostitution and stuff know. like that. It's way worse. Drugging. Yeah. I'm sure some teens are drinking. That's driving. probably not a good, safe place to do that. No, I wouldn't think so. Um, yeah, and there's also a Potter's Field, Pauper's Grave in uh, Oakland Cemetery. Oh, uh, yeah. That's it's right. just basically like a big expanse of grass yeah. where a bunch of people who were poor were buried. Yeah, I did Mount Vernon oh, when yeah. I was up there, you know, George Washington's place. Is it cool? Yeah, it's really neat because um, they still do stuff the old-fashioned way. You know, like if they need a room painted, they grind up dye and mix it with water and nice. all that stuff. Wow. But, um, you know, there is like, you know, he and Martha are buried in this like beautiful mausoleum. And then there's also like the slave, you know, grave sites. Mm-hmm. And it's just, you know, definitely like he freed all his slaves in his will, which was a good thing to do, I guess. But anytime you go to one of those plantation type things and 
you see like the opulence of his thing and then this other little oh, yeah. side area where yeah. the slaves are buried. It's just sort of like, hmm. yeah, yeah, well, that happened. That's a sad reminder. It is. And no one was visiting like the slave area as much even. And that was just sort of like, that kind of rubbed me a little bit. Did you go over there and visit it? Yeah, absolutely. Good for you. Yeah. Nice. So uh, you got anything else? I got nothing else. That's coffins. That's coffins. I was going to write this article a couple of years ago because it didn't exist because I wanted to do this. Oh, good. I'm glad it came along. I think that's just a lesson, kids. If you wait around long enough, somebody else might do something. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, then, since Chuck gave... Wait, I think, Chuck, that might be a casket fact. <laughs> Is that the last casket fact? Yeah. All right. <laughs> Hey there, are you thirsty? Well, before you take a sip, have you stopped to think about what's in your water? Many conventional bottled waters contain PFAS, harmful substances known as forever chemicals. But you can drink water as clean as nature intended. Richard's rainwater collects 100% pure, refreshing drops of rain. Yes, it really is rain, everybody. This rain is caught clean before it hits the ground or becomes polluted with pesticides and contaminants commonly found in groundwater. Yep, Richard's rainwater is naturally pure with no need for harsh chemicals or additives. That means no added fluoride, no chlorine, no forever chemicals, no microplastics, no nothing. And you can enjoy the clean taste of Richard's still rainwater and the long-lasting cold-pressured bubbles of Richard's sparkling rainwater. Just visit richardsrainwater.com to find a retailer near you. That's richardsrainwater.com. And we even have a special offer, don't we, Josh? Yeah, text STUFF to 2512-928887 and you'll get $2 off a 12-pack case of Richard's rainwater. Sip the sky. Hey, it's Danielle, Will, and Ryder from Pod Meets World. Thanks to our friends at Hyundai, we were able to record a very special episode for you guys at the one and only, wait for it, Boy Meets World House. Take a listen. We are lucky to be sitting with Alan and Amy Matthews in the flesh, William, Rusty Russ, and Betsy Randall. Yay! Thank you. Thank you. When yes. those, those legends get here, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> you're here. You're here already. No. no we didn't either when we were watching yeah, this that's day. The that's we the problem. We didn't realize it until we uh, oh. started getting into seasons three and four, and now we're like, oh my God. You were both so good on the show, and we missed it because we were we young. We were kids and, and so self-involved. Egomaniacs yeah. and didn't realize <laughs> well, no, how great you were. We've talked about it. I think you just assumed everybody was as good as them. And, right. and then right. you get into, right. as you grow up and you work with other actors, you realize how <gasps> lucky we were yeah. to have you guys. This has been brought to you by the fully electric Hyundai Ionic 5. New episode out now. You can listen wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, okay, well, since we had our last casket fact, um, oh, yeah, I got to say, if you want to read this article on coffins, you can go to HowStuffWorks.com, and you can type in that word, C-O-F-F-I-N, in the search bar, and uh, that means it's time now for listener mail. Uh, Josh, I'm going to call this very manipulative email from a Georgia Tech fan. <laughs> Here we go. Peter in Virginia. He knows it's coming. Uh, I want to tell you guys how your podcast made a difference in my life. I recently found out that I have uh, diffuse large B-cell lymphoma. Uh, as a part of the testing process to determine what stage you are, they shoot you full of barium and then perform a CT scan. The cancer cells divide rapidly, uh, so based on how much the barium glows during the CT, we'll tell them how much your cancer has spread. Uh, as part of the process, you have to remain as still as possible for an hour prior to the CT uh, so as there's uh, 
as little circulation in the blood and barium as possible. Then you sit for another hour, also as still as possible, while getting the body scan. Jeez. Uh, needless to say, you feel very woozy after the barium, and it's a very anxious time. And your mind wants to wander into numerous worst-case scenarios while you are alone uh, in a cold, dark room. However, I was overjoyed when the nurses said I could listen to uh, my MP3 player. I am glad you replaced that. Uh, I spent both of those hours listening to your podcast, actually. I even got one of the nurses to tape my phone next to my head during the scanning process to ensure I would hear it. <laughs> uh, provided a great distraction and really took my mind off what certainly would have been very gruesome two hours. Also, the doctor said that beating cancer certainly is partly mental, and the attitude and response from the treatment have a large part to do with uh, your response. And I'm a graduate from Georgia Tech, and if I could hear a Go Jackets on the air, oh, seriously man. make my week and increase my odds of survival. Oh, my goodness. I know you both went to UGA. However, I'm hopeful that we can put aside our differences and come together to rally behind something like cancer. And I emailed <laughs> Peter back and said, you're a very manipulative human being. Yeah. And he laughed and thought that was really funny and uh, gave me and you a Go Dogs in the email. Oh, okay. And he thought that might be the like a carbon offset. Okay. So, Peter, obviously... Go Jackets. Buzz, buzz, buzz. Go Jackets. Go Jackets. Ramblin' Wreck from Georgia Tech. Et cetera. And that's where it ends, my friend. Yeah. And we wish you all the best, obviously, in uh, in your treatment. And let us know how it's going. We'll be thinking about you. Thank yeah. you, Peter. Hang in there, buddy. Good luck. And keep us uh, posted. And we're never going to say Go Jackets again. That's right. That's your one shot. Yep. Um, if you want to try to manipulate me and Chuck into doing something we don't want to, you can give it a shot. You can tweet to us at SYSK Podcast. That was a Y, by the way. Uh, you can go to Facebook.com slash Stuff You Should Know. You can send us an email to StuffPodcast at Discovery.com. And you can join us at our home on the web. That is StuffYouShouldKnow.com. Jack Threads has quickly become the online shopping destination for guys. Here's why. Everything on the site is up to 80% off. As a listener of Stuff You Should Know, you can skip the membership wait list and get instant access at jackthreads.com slash K-N-O-W stuff. That's jackthreads.com slash no stuff. Are you thirsty? Well, Richard's rainwater is caught clean before it even hits the ground. Rain is naturally pure, so there's no need for harsh chemicals or additives. Richard's rainwater contains no chlorine, no forever chemicals, no microplastics, no nothing. Enjoy the smooth, clean taste of still rainwater or the cold-pressured bubbles of sparkling rainwater. Just visit richardsrainwater.com to find a retailer near you. That's richardsrainwater.com. And for a coupon, text STUFF to 251-292-8887 and receive $2 off a 12-pack case of Richard's Rainwater. If you haven't heard, it's a good idea to fit probiotics into your daily routine. Fortunately, Nature's Way women's probiotic pearls make that so easy. These adorable little pearls couldn't be easier to take, and they support both digestive and vaginal health, all because of the probiotics. There are actually one billion active cultures protecting against occasional bloating, constipation, and digestive discomfort, all in one tiny little pearl. To learn more about Nature's Way women's probiotic pearls and how they can fit into your routine, visit naturesway.com.